Are you looking for a space where you will learn to improve your mental strength, emotional health, and heal your insecurities from the inside out? Take the first step to living a more meaningful life with the Better Me with Body by Brie podcast. I'm your host, Brie. I'm a certified personal trainer, entrepreneur, and mother of three. I've helped empower thousands of women to take action through fitness, nutrition, meditation, personal development, and aligning thoughts with action. This podcast is for those who are ready to feel inspired and motivated to live a more purposeful life. Let's grow together. Christine Lawyer is a licensed marriage and family therapist, lover of sleep, and baby sleep consultant. She lives in Las Vegas with her wonderful husband and four beautiful daughters who are all amazing sleepers. They weren't born that way, though. Your babies can be amazing sleepers, too. Chrissy founded The Peaceful Sleeper for two main reasons. She recognized how critically important sleep is in all aspects of life and believed that many parents are underinformed or feel unnecessary guilt when it comes to sleep training and sleep coaching your baby, and she wanted to help. She's been practicing therapy for nine years and slowly started to realize that sleep issues were a common thread among all of her clients. So she got some additional training in advanced sleep medicine and learned that many of the mental health challenges we and our children face today stem from inadequate sleep. Meanwhile, she started having babies and realized that she functioned a thousand percent better when she had better sleep. She read every book she could get her hands on about sleep training and realized that although there are differences between every baby, there are a lot of universal truths about getting babies to sleep well. And there are about a million reasons why it's important that they do so. So her goal as a baby sleep consultant is to take the stress out of sleep training and get everyone in the family a good night's rest. She's here to help you enjoy motherhood, not just endure it. Welcome to the podcast, Chrissy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I have to tell you, I told you before we got on this podcast, but you literally saved me with Mila. Like I followed you religiously. You helped me so much. She was the best sleeper. I had amazing sleep schedules with her and I credit you because I (laughs) followed you like the Bible. I'm like, okay, whatever she says I'm doing and you're amazing at what you do. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you let me help you. It was so fun to work with you back then and I'm excited for your next baby. I know. I'm like, okay, here we go. I forgot everything. So we got to restart. <laughs> I'm already That's watching all your stuff again. <laughs> yes. Every parent forgets everything with the next baby and all babies come out different. So that's why like, I love, I mean, I don't mean to like jump ahead, but that's why like our method is the way that it is because it allows for parents to stay the expert on their baby and be empowered to be the expert on their baby. And also know that like, okay, this this go around with this baby is going to be different. So let's learn the next set of things. Yes. That is very interesting. You say that because like Jameson was just a sleepy person. Like he still is like, he is six and he would still take a nap every day, you know? And then like, then like Olivia stopped napping before she was two. And I'm like, what in the world? I did the same thing with both of them. So that is very comforting to know. Like all babies are so different. Even if you're on the same schedule, even if they eat the same, like they just are so different. So totally. 
So you've actually raised four children yourself. You have four little girls and you use your sleep techniques on them. So why do you think that your techniques work so well? Um, Honestly, our techniques work so well because it's A, grounded in science and child development theory. Like I'm not just making up crap. And B, it's tailored to the individual. It's tailored to parents' teaching styles and children's learning styles and finding an approach that is going to fit and be optimal. I'm a big believer that there is no one size fits all. And I use a lot of my therapy background to inform that like, hey, everybody A, we all need good sleep. Like that is a fact. We know that good sleep promotes our mental and physical well-being. Like there's no way around that. Sleep is massively important. And how we arrive at that doesn't really matter as long as we do. And we're going to arrive at that most easily with different approaches for different families. So so our approach is different because it's tailored to the individual. I love that because I mean, it's, have you seen that meme where it's like, oh, the baby slept through the night. And then it's like, repeat exactly what you did last night. The exact temperature, the exact way you swaddled them. Cause you're like, it feels like a fluke. You're like, how did I get them to sleep through the night? Yes. Yeah. And like, I think about my experience in counseling, like if somebody came in and they're like, I'm depressed, how do I fix it? Like the suggestions for one person are going to be different than for another. Like we're going to get into different history, different traumas, different interventions. Like if I just told everybody with depression, you know, go out and do these same five things and you'll be fine. Like that's not going to work. So I approach getting good baby sleep. Like I approach optimizing anything else. Like it's going to be different based on the individual. So I know for me, like I'm a different person when I don't get sleep. I'm like irritable and angry and moody and my hormones are all over the place. So why do you think it is so important for new moms to kind of cultivate a sleep schedule and figure this out for themselves? It's exactly what you said. Like when we are sleep deprived, we don't function optimally and our kids deserve the best versions of us. And they deserve to be able to be the best version of themselves too, right? Like we get grumpy when we haven't slept well. Like our kids are at a disadvantage when they haven't gotten the sleep that they need. And so one of the big like taglines that I say a lot is like happier babies, happier parents, happier marriages, happier everything. Like everything works better when we are well rested. And then if you dive into like attachment research, there's so much about co-regulation and like eye contact and how we respond to our babies is the beginning of that secure attachment. 
So when our babies see the glimmer in our eye, the like, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with you. Like, you are so sweet. You're so perfect. I'm so happy to see you. That's what lays the groundwork for their self-esteem. And when we are tired and zoned out and let's put on another show and like, oh my gosh, what Mm -hmm. now? Like that that impacts our children. And that's not to say that like, if you have any of those days, then like you're damaging your child because attachment is resilient and it's built on thousands and millions of interactions. But we want, when we are well-rested, we have more energy and we have more love and we have more joy and energy and love and joy and sleep are all so important for our kids. Oh, yeah. I'm a different person. Like when I would get a full night's sleep versus not, I'm a completely different person. So I totally believe in that. (laughs) And one thing that I learned with my first was how important schedules are for babies and like having them on that wake sleep feed cycle, feed wake sleep, feed wake sleep cycle. (laughs) See, look, I'm still remembering. I'm trying to remember it. (laughs) But Um, because it was almost like clockwork where I could see like, oh, she's doing the signs. She's starting to arch her back. She's starting to get, you know, a little, and I was like, hurry, swaddle her, lay her down and she'd fall asleep on her own. And I was like, oh my gosh. And because she slept, fell asleep on her own, then in the middle of the night, if she'd wake up, she could like just fall right back asleep. She wasn't screaming for me which was so helpful. So um, I'm curious like what your thoughts are on keeping babies on a schedule and kind of following that pattern. I think it's important to identify the cycles that they are naturally wanting to be in. I think some things like the eat, play, sleep, cycle work really, really well for some parents and babies and give them a structure. And sometimes it stresses them out. So I'm I don't care as much about like, it has to be eat, play, sleep. It can't be play, eat, sleep. Like I think do whatever works for you, but it's about identifying, getting in good predictable cycles for the awake asleep part and like Mm -hmm. just feed them when feeding works. If it works well for you to do that, then great. If it doesn't, then that's fine too. But it's it's so helpful to have these predictable cycles because it lets a baby's circadian rhythm develop around something. And then you also are, as parents, we are informed and empowered. Like, bet more information makes us feel confident and empowered. And when we show up with confidence and empowerment in the parenting game, everything goes better. Right. And so if you know, like, oh, I'm anticipating they're going to get tired around this 90 minute mark. And then you see, like, oh, their fence, their fists are clenched. Oh, their eyes look kind of red. Like, oh, there's that early squawk. Oh, there's that subtle yawn. Yep. It's time. Like, not only are you meeting your baby's needs better, but you're also meeting your own need of, security and stability and predictability and feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm good at this. I'm good at this mom gig. Yes. You kind of know what to expect. When you know what to expect, I feel like you're like, okay, I got this. Yes. Totally. So if you were to give us like your three top techniques that you teach to help babies sleep better, what would be the top three most important things? Okay. So I think 
number one most important thing is optimizing the schedule. Figuring out when is the right time to get your baby down for a nap so that they're sleepy and ready to fall asleep easily, but they're not overtired because overtiredness throws a monkey wrench in everything. So number one, optimizing the scheduling. Number two, teaching them how to initiate sleep independently. If they can fall asleep independently, then they can also fall back to sleep independently. They can connect those nap cycles and connect those sleep cycles and get the deep restorative sleep that they need. And number three, I would say, is trust in yourself and trust in your baby. Like My biggest hope with all of this is that parents can feel that like deep sigh of relief of like, all right. We got this. We're good. I love that so much. Um, I feel like you're right. Like if you even just following you on Instagram, you give the confidence because you're like, okay, I know how to swaddle. I know how to soothe. I know how to burp. And when you do those, you know, like I don't, I'm searching for knowledge. <laughs> like you, ha- you kind of have your toolkit when you're ready to go. You do have that toolkit and you do feel more empowered and ready to go. So I love that you're helping us with that. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's so, that's so kind. That is what I, I hope for. And really it, this all was born out of my own need, right? Like I think most entrepreneurs, the businesses that they start or the things that they do are because like it wasn't there when they needed it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about, tell us about your journey with your kids and their sleep. Yeah. Like what did you learn? I've been, I've been a therapist for 13 years and my oldest is nine. Right. So like when I had my first baby, I was already a therapist. I've always been kind of a perfectionist. I just wanted to know how to do it right. And I knew that I was so like, I was not thriving. I wasn't showing up in motherhood the way that I wanted to when I was sleep deprived. So that made me feel super guilty. Like as I had postpartum depression and anxiety and felt dread when I heard her wake up in the morning on the monitor and just like, oh, another day. Like, uh, it just, it broke my heart that I felt that way in motherhood when it's something that I wanted to do my whole entire life. Right. And then like she wasn't sleeping. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I have to figure out how to do this right. And then I dove into all of the resources that were available at the time. And it felt like there was so much shame and so much like, this is how you have to do it. If you don't do it this way, then you're broken. Then you're failing. You're not meeting your child's need. They're going to be negatively impacted and it's all your fault which A, was super stressful, and B, everybody was saying that same thing, but suggesting a different approach. And so I was like, what the freak am I supposed to do here? Like, I don't want to be failing my baby. So anyway, I just felt this incredible weight and also didn't feel any more clarity to know what the quote unquote right thing was as I dove in. And so I just kind of like started from scratch and I dove into all of the resources and all of the science behind the resources because I noticed, I mean, like I went to grad school, I wrote, I did original research, I wrote theses and like there was a big emphasis on research and science. 
in my program, right? And so I'd read these books and they would say, research says blah, 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 blah. And then you would find out that their research was like having a conversation with like-minded parents at the park. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not research. You don't get to just like chit chat with three or four parents and call it research. Like that's not the scientific method. So I kind of like dove in as a critical consumer of all of the information there. And I dove into the science and I figured out like what makes this method right for these parents and these babies? What makes that method right for those parents and those babies? And how do we consolidate it to allow for a different right that's still grounded in science, grounded in theory, and promotes optimal sleep? So that's what the peaceful sleeper method is. It's all about tuning in and laying a good foundation to optimize your baby's sleep tuning into your baby to figure out what their cues and signals are and what the right approach for you and for them is going to be, and then giving yourself the freedom and permission and skill set to follow that quote unquote right approach through. So we kind of have four, like the peaceful sleeper method is four different approaches. It's four different paths. And then we customize and tailor it for the family. That's amazing. That's so cool. I love that you kind of take the stress off that like one, one thing is the best option. Yes. Yeah. There is no one size fits all. Literally. Mm -hmm. So I do have a question. What do you think are some common mistakes that you see parents make when they're trying to teach their baby better sleep habits? Are there things that like you see often I think the biggest mistake is blazing right past those sleepy cues and waiting until their baby is exhausted because we have, we are all born with these different chemical processes, right? So like we have sleepy chemicals that get produced when like it's time to wind down, but we also have the ability to power through those chemicals and stay awake even when we're tired. And then at some point, like those wear off and exhaustion kicks in and we just like crash. Right. And so I think about, you know, a couple months ago, I was three o'clock in the morning. I'm totally asleep. My then eight year old comes in and she says, Mommy, I threw up. And so immediately I jump to action, right? Like I was totally passed out, dead to the world asleep. And then I'm wide awake and I'm, getting her in the bath, changing her sheets, starting a load of laundry, getting her in new pajamas, right? Like I'm doing all of the things. And while I'm doing all of those things, I'm not like dragging and slugging through exhaustion. Like I'm awake, I'm alert, I'm getting it done. And then as soon as the crisis is averted, as soon as she's taken care of, she's back in bed, I come down to my bed and I'm asleep in what, like five or 10 minutes because my brain knows how to do the like, I'm sleepy. Okay. Now I'm in bed. Now I'm asleep. Oh wait, I need to be awake. Okay. Now I can be asleep again. I know how to manage the sleepy versus awake chemicals. Our babies have the same building blocks for that, but it's very clunky. And so if they're tired and we're having them push through it, then they stay awake, but they're what I call wired and tired. 
And then it makes falling asleep so much harder because they have these warring chemicals. They're like, I'm so sleepy, but wait, I think I need to be awake. And that's that's when parents are in this place where like they're I'm sure you know, if you have three kids, I'm sure you've experienced this where you're like trying to rock your baby to sleep and they're just like screaming in your face. And you're like, I know that you're tired. Why aren't you falling asleep? And it's because they've gotten overtired or overstimulated. And so Mm -hmm. that's in a nutshell, the biggest mistake that parents make is that scheduling error and then relying on them getting exhausted to finally knock out when really it would have been so much easier to get them to sleep earlier. So I like, yes, I, I kind of like one of my, I don't know, like bragging rights, I guess you could say is like, I can pretty reliably get a newborn to sleep in less than five minutes always. Like That's I, amazing. it's finding the right time and the right intervention. And then it really can be easy. And that's what I want. Yes. For parents. I want ease and confidence. Well, and I've heard like I, some of my friends will be like, oh, I want them to sleep through the night. So I'm going to keep them awake. And I, and I was like, wait, I learned that actually the better they sleep during the day, the better they sleep at night. You know, like that's a common mistake I heard. I hear a lot from people too. Yep. So like if my baby didn't get good sleep during the day, she was up all night long. Like if she had regular naps and had good naps, she slept great at night. So Mm -hmm. it's just funny how it kind of is counterintuitive that way a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sleep begets sleep. The more they sleep, the better they will sleep. And you're totally right. That feels counterintuitive because as adults, it's the opposite. I also treat adult sleep issues. And for adult stuff, we have to, when we need to reset our sleep system, we have to push ourselves to kind of that point of being so exhausted that we relearn how to fall asleep quickly and stay asleep deeply all night long. And so- as parents, we naturally are projecting all the time because we're trying to discern their little cues. And so it makes sense that we think like, what does my baby need? I'm not quite sure. What do I as an adult need? Ah, got it. Okay. I'll do that for my baby. And just realizing that it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you like rapid fire questions yes. on some of the most common questions that I had as a young mom mm-hmm. that I wish I could have asked a sleep expert. So I'm going to ask you some of these common questions and just see what your answers are. Okay. Perfect. Yep. Sounds great. Okay. So what are your thoughts on co-sleeping? Yes or no? Okay. So the AAP does not recommend co-sleeping for safest possible sleep. However, lots of parents co-sleep out of desire or desperation And so I'm all about informing parents that it's not recommended for safest possible sleep. However, if you are going to co-sleep, you need to do it safely. So there's, uh, it's called the safe sleep seven. So just make sure everybody's sober. There's no smoking. We don't want babies that are co-sleeping to be swaddled. We want to be breastfeeding day and night. And we want to make sure that there aren't any big loose blankets in the bed. It needs to be a safe surface. Okay. I know. I remember one time I was nursing and I had fallen asleep in bed while I was nursing Mm -hmm. and I woke up and my baby's face was literally like 
suffocated in my boob oh. because I had fallen asleep and then they had rolled into me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, it scared me so bad yes. that from then on I had to sit up while I was nursing because I was like, it just scared me that like their faces were like they couldn't breathe. Like they were in my they yep. had rolled over that easily and I was in such a deep sleep. Like it was it was kind of scary. So yeah, I get I, that too. Totally. And I think for a lot of parents having a baby in bed with you, it kind of forces you to stay in the lighter sleep so that you make sure, you know, you don't roll over on your baby. And so I generally, I generally recommend against co-sleeping, but I also recognize that many parents do it out of desire or desperation. So I never want to shame people. Yes. Yes. For sure. Yeah. I think it's more of a, um, selfish thing on my end. Cause like you said, I don't sleep. If I'm holding the baby, I'm like, yeah. I, I can't really, I'm like in the lightest sleep. Cause I'm like, ah, anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. What are your thoughts on binkies? Love them. Yes or no. So, Love. I think they're so helpful to have another source of soothing so that we can get the good full feeds when it's time for a good full feed, still meet that need to suck but not necessarily have to feel like you're nursing or feeding all day, every day. Cause I like to have good full feeds to help for that, those good long stretches at night. Yes. Do you have a specific brand you like the best? Not necessarily. That's such a like baby preference kind of thing and what works best for their mouth and tongue shape and functioning. Yes. Okay. What do you think formula feeding or breastfeeding has an impact on baby's sleep? Like does one sleep better than the other if they're formula fed versus breastfed? Not really. Some some people think that formula has a little bit more sticking power. Um maybe, but I've I've worked with and had my own breastfed babies that slept great. You know, like I, I believe that by four to six weeks, we can be getting these six to eight hour stretches of sleep at night, even if baby's breastfeeding. Okay. That's my next question. What should, like, should you have some type of expectation by six weeks? Like, should your goal be that they're sleeping six hours or should you not even have any expectation? Cause you never know. Um, I want people to know what's possible, but I also don't want them to feel like they're failing if that's not their reality. So many babies, it's totally possible to be getting six to eight hour stretches by six to eight weeks or even like four to eight weeks. That's totally possible. But even if you're doing all the things right, that just might not be your reality yet. So I don't want you to get discouraged. Awesome. Um, okay. Do should you do a dream feed? Where if people don't know what that is, you, they're already asleep. You wake them up before you go to bed, feed them, and then put them back to bed when they're like asleep, half asleep, mm-hmm. basically. I think it's worth a shot just to see. Some people have immense success with a dream feed, and it allows them to, yeah, lengthen that first stretch of sleep. In I've done this poll several times in my community. I find that dream feeds don't work for about 70 to 80% of moms. So do it if you can. Or if, try it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, then you don't need to be 
married to it. It usually doesn't work. If you do want to try it, aim for about three hours after baby has fallen asleep to do that dream feed. That's when they're going to be sleep cycle transitioning anyway. I just usually don't like it because we're pulling our babies out of a sleep cycle and waking them up. So we just like cut off their sleep cycle and made that transition kind of wonky. Mm -hmm. Yes. I noticed that too. When I tried it, I just stopped doing it. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about sleep regression. Mm -hmm. When does it happen and why? Sleep regression coincides with developmental milestones. So the four-month sleep regression is the one that we all hear the most about. That's because the the way that the brain does sleep has shifted. Newborn sleep is really shallow, um, and they can get in and out of it easily. After four months, they're capable of deeper sleep and those REM cycles. And so their style of sleep shifts. And then all of the other regressions are just as they, as their brain is learning new things and mastering new things, it can make an impact on sleep. I love that. It can be so frustrating. Like you, (laughs) you like have it all figured out and all of a sudden they like randomly start waking up seven times a night. You're like, what is going on? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Doesn't it only last for like, how long does it usually last? It can be as short as five days or for some of the regressions, it can go up to like two or three weeks. But that's why I preach so much of this like confidence and empowerment because when we as parents can feel confident and empowered, then those regressions don't really throw us off because it's like you said, it's a like, ah, what is happening? But then there's this like, okay, I know that I'm doing all the right things. It makes sense that there's a regression right now. So I'm just going to roll with it. This is not a big deal. We'll just power through and bounce back. Yes. Yes. Okay, nap time routines that can help your baby fall asleep and stay asleep. Do you have any tips and tricks? I think more than a routine, it's knowing that they have this skill set. So if you know that your baby can fall asleep independently, then you don't need this big drawn out routine. Like, yes, routines help us know what is coming next, but you could do that in like 30 seconds. So, I mean, I know you're about to have your fourth. I have four kids. Like, unfortunately, my fourth child did not get the luxury of the same nap time routine that my first child did. You know, mm-hmm. it's a quick. That's what I'm scared of. I'm like, how am I going to do this with a school pickup and all the kids? Yeah. Activities? Like, how are they going to get regular sleep? Yes. Like, basically, our nap time routine is what happens as I'm walking up the stairs with her. You know, like, oh, are you ready for a nap? Mommy loves you so much. Let's start singing your songs. You know, like it's turning on the white noise, turning off the light, having a couple songs and really just having it be at this like predictable time. But you, even if you have a bunch of kids and school drop-offs and pickups, like you can find a time where you can consistently and predictably meet her needs. You're just going to have to, or his needs, you're just going to have to be creative about it, but that's fine. You can handle that. So, so, okay. Some people say it's better to put your baby to sleep in a loud place, like in the living room and vacuum around them and have the kids play so they get used to it. But then all the books I read was like, no, like have it be like a darker room with the sound machine, like let them get a break from the stimulation. So do you have any opinion on that? 
Yeah. The first couple months when babies are brand, brand new, uh, it's fine to have those naps be in a louder environment because we're still trying to help them orient day and night. So that's fine. But after four months, we really want them to be in a quiet, dark environment because that's optimal for sleep, right? Like if you tried to go to sleep in a louder, brighter environment, you'd have a whole lot more difficulty than if you tried to go to sleep in a dark, quiet environment. So like we want their environment to be conducive to sleep after four months. When they're brand new newborns, it's fine. They can sleep on the go. They can sleep in louder, brighter spaces because that helps them orient day and night. Do you use a sound machine and do you use like, you know, make it darker? Yep, I do. I use blackout curtains and a white noise machine. You can wean off of using the white noise machine around age two or three, but we're really just trying to neutralize the environment because your baby is napping when the rest of the house isn't. So dogs barking, a doorbell ringing, mom dropping a spoon downstairs, like all of those things are disruptions that like you want to be able to be living your life without worrying that the smallest little thing is going to wake them up. I still use a saw machine and my kids are like six. So <laughs> I love it. I'm <laughs> like, just drown everything else out. Yeah. Okay. I have three more questions. Swaddling versus not. And do you, do you recommend it? Do you have a yes, swaddle? I, I am team swaddle all the way. Um, the AAP says to drop the swaddle after about eight weeks. That's because we don't want any loose blankets around their face. So if, you know, after eight weeks, our babies are stronger, they can bust out of that swaddle and then it's a safety risk. But I would recommend switching to a Velcro swaddler at that point so that, or like a zip up swaddler so that they can be safe and still snug. They just have these jerking flailing limbs that they don't have full motor control of yet. And they benefit from being in that snug womb like environment um, until, you know, obviously when they show signs of rolling, we need to drop it. So I usually drop a swaddle at the first signs of rolling or around four months when we sleep train. Okay. That's so helpful. Um, what about the, like, should you let them cry it out or do modified cry it out or do you go comfort? What is your stance on that? It is. That's where our method is very different than any others. So we're not just crying for the sake of crying. We're not just setting a timer for the sake of setting a timer. We're very tuned in on some parents are willing to allow room for protest and some aren't. And that's fine. Again, that's why we have four different methods and approaches within the peaceful sleeper method. So if you are going to allow room for protest, just know that protest is a part of every kind of development and growth that we ever do. There is protest in development and that's okay. We just want to make sure that they're in a state of productive learning. So you know, I was with a three month old yesterday. She's my friend's little girl and we were doing tummy time. And there was a little bit of protest in tummy time in the beginning, but like her head was up and she was looking around and it's like, yeah, she'd rather be held right now, but she's in a state of productive learning and growth. 
And then she got tired. She started bobbing her head into the floor. She got mad and the cry changed. Like she was protesting, but it was different this time. It was no longer productive. And so then it was time to pick her up. Right. And so I, my preferred method, the method that I think most babies learn the quickest is what many would call a quote unquote modified cry it out. But our approach is different than that because we're tuned into all of these different factors. We're not just crying for the sake of crying. Right. Right. Yes. Oh, so helpful. I'm so grateful for all of this advice. I know that you have like a program and you even go to people's houses and help them learn how to sleep. Where would someone find you and all of your resources if they're interested in learning more about you? Yeah. So find me on Instagram. It's at the.peaceful.sleeper or my website is thepeacefulsleeper.com. We also have a really cool email series where you can put in your baby's birthday or even your due date if you're pregnant, and then you'll get timed tips straight to your inbox about everything that's coming up. So like you'll get an email when your baby's three weeks old or like, hey, be aware of the six-week regression. Here's how you handle it. Like, hey, your baby's three months. This is what's happening. And so it's just... Yes. So that's, yes. That's peacefulsleeper.com slash free sleep. Um, and you can get so many great free resources there. And then we also have courses and guides and consultations where I'm just really committed to parents having the resources and support they need to feel confident as they're meeting their baby's most important needs. And I think it'd be fun to do another podcast once I have the baby where it's actually a live consult where I can say like, here's what I'm struggling with. How would you fix it? That would be really fun. I think for parents to hear how you do a consult. Yes. I would love to do that. That would be super fun. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us. That was super helpful. I can't wait for hopefully our listeners to take some golden nuggets with them and get some better sleep and start feeling better and more empowered. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. All right. I'll talk to you later. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in today's episode. If you liked the content and want to hear more, remember to hit that subscribe button and write a review. As a small business owner, I appreciate it more than you know. If you are looking for a program to help with self-confidence, to lose weight, get in shape, and work on your mental, physical, and emotional health, check out my training programs on www.bodybybree.com. My team and I help to hold you accountable through the Body by Brie app, where you log in to see all your workouts, custom meal plan made specifically for you and your needs, and communication through the messenger. You are never alone when you're on the Body by Brie training program. Click the link in the show notes to get more information on how to transform your life from the inside out.